When Sophia dares to leave the house during a rainstorm to complete her daily task of procuring a nectarine from the grocery store, Rose, Blanche, and Dorothy are left to their own devices. While Rose worries not only about wasting a day but about Sophia's personal life, Dorothy is preoccupied with being sarcastic and eating cookies, and Blanche is extraordinarily horny. Little do they know, Sophia is doing much more than buying a simple piece of fruit. Will the kitchen shelves ever get repapered? Will Sophia speak nicely to anyone she encounters? Will Wayne come by and help relieve Blanche of what's ailing her? Find out all of that and more in today's episode, The Days and Nights of Sophia Petrillo. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our things. No matter the misters that come and go. There appear to be a couple of options as to the inspiration for today's title. First, there was the 1962 play by William Snyder, The Days and Nights of B.B. Finstermaker. The play follows the life of B.B. Finstermaker, who is finding her way in the world as a young woman and writer. The inspiration could have also come from the series that aired just a year before this episode, The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. It was a dramedy that aired from May 1987 to June 1988. It was about Molly Dodd, who was a bit of a romantic and career transient. Here's some of the very boring theme music. Fun fact, this was the first sitcom-type show to not have an audience or laugh track. Who's uh, who's in that show? Uh, we've got, well, my favorite movie daddy, David Strath... How do you say his name? Strathairn? David Strathairn, I think. Yes. Who was in... River Wild. The River Wild, of course. Among other things. Uh, Blair Brown. Oh, Yeah. She is, oh, she's very cool. She was in uh, Fringe. Did you ever watch Fringe? I didn't. She's great in Fringe. I believe she had a robotic hand. But suffice to say that we've reached a point where science and technology have advanced at such an exponential rate for so long. It may be way beyond our ability to regulate and control them. You should know what you're getting into, Agent Dunham. I would say this to my own daughter. Be careful. And... Good luck. She did a, uh, she read one of my favorite audiobooks, which is uh, Stephen King's Rose Matter. Oh, how cool. And it's, it's just a, a wonderful performance. And she just has one of the, one of the best voices I've ever heard in my life. And it sounds a little bit like this. Oh, and one other thing. She was a single woman who never intended to eat another foot long hot dog in her life, especially one smothered in sauerkraut. They did not agree with her, it seemed. It also had William Converse Roberts. I recognize him as a daddy as well. Hmm. And the ultimate Titanic daddy, Victor Garber. He was also in Molly Dodd. Oh, I built you a fine ship, Rose. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't do whatever I was supposed to have done. And now the I'm going to set the clock and die in here. Goodbye.
Now, I have to be honest, for some reason, this episode has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know if it just feels shoehorned that suddenly Sophia has a daily routine or that she's just really intense and frankly kind of bossy throughout the episode. But what I do love is that a woman in her 80s is being portrayed as an independent, busy activist. While most characters of her age at the time would be found sleeping on a couch, she's living her life not just to the fullest for herself, but she's using her energy to engage other seniors, which rules. It's an unusually blustery day in Miami, which, thanks to storm season, gets an average of 62 inches of rain a year, compared to the oh-so-rainy Portland, where we only get 36. Thank you. Inside, cozy in their robes and sipping tea is Dorothy and Blanche, who are quickly joined by a delighted Rose who loves nothing more than waking up to rain tapping on her window. And nothing makes Blanche as delighted as Wayne tapping on her window. When he does, she puts on her feather-covered nightie from the naughty lingerie store in the mall, Fredericks of Hollywood, and pours herself a glass of cold duck, the sparkling wine or champagne, if you're lenient with word usage, that has been around since the 1930s and was basically the original White Claw. Now that the Wayne-Rain confusion is cleared up, the ladies can get back to enjoying their tea but not before a trench coat-wearing, red umbrella-carrying Sophia enters the kitchen. The girls are confused why Sophia would have anywhere to go in this weather, but she's confused as to how she could run any errands without going into the weather. There's a bit of a weird pause here, like maybe a joke was cut, when Sophia responds to Rose's question about her outing with some extra snark. Quickly, everything is back on track, and Sophia gives a straight answer. She's off to the market to get a nectarine. A nectarine is simply a smooth-skinned peach. That's their only difference. That's a fruit fact. Wow. Did you know that? Yeah, and I was surprised to hear it. And you could tell on a scale of 1 to 10 how excited how exciting that was by my wow just then. <laughs> it was, pretty, it was pretty, pretty neat. Still responding with spice, Sophia points out that every day she rides the number six bus to go buy a nectarine. But if it was every day, wouldn't the ladies know about it? And to anyone saying, why doesn't she just buy like a week's worth of nectarines in one trip? Well, because she wants to get out of the house. That's why she's 82. Let her do as she pleases. Rudely, Rose responds to Sophia's getting a nectarine every day is her big excitement with, that's so sad. Quit judging, Rose. Besides, it isn't really sad, according to Sophia, until you can't eat the nectarine without smushing it first. As Rose sits at the table with the girls, the judgments continue. Without recognizing that the bus ride and fruit shopping does make Sophia feel happy, they decide she isn't doing anything fulfilling with her life. Leaning in with a look and sultry voice, Blanche knows what would fulfill Sophia. Dorothy's groans of disapproval stop her from going into more lurid detail. But oh, they were wrong. Blanche was going to suggest a hobby for Sophia. Not a man, as both Dorothy and Rose had assumed. Well, the joke is on all of us because Blanche was talking about a hobby, and that hobby is men. She makes a good point. Is there a better hobby than being constantly fulfilled? <laughs> Dorothy disagrees. She doesn't think a hobby would help, which is a little odd. She thinks it's more about how interesting you make life, which, you know, could come from a hobby. But she's worried her mother is too old to not only start something new, but to find ways to make life interesting. Again, dismissing the fact that Sophia seemed totally content with her daily outing. Dorothy shakes her head with sadness that her mother's life is just meaningless. 
Changing the subject, Rose is back to being excited about the rain. It's a perfect excuse to stay inside and get some of those little chores done around the house. You know, those things we've been looking at for months, years, and just need to take a few minutes to do them and move on with life. But instead, they persist, haunting you when you think of it in the middle of the night, rubbing their existence in your face when you catch a glimpse of it at 2 a.m. when you let the dog out. Those things. Coco, what's one thing in the house that if we just had a rainy day and actually were motivated to do it, that we should do? What is our relining of the kitchen shelves? Cleaning out that garage. Oh. It's the it's the epicenter the of all other clutters. <sighs> it's it starts there and it, and, it, and it rolls out throughout the house. And if it was organized, we could have space for the other things that we need to like store. Sex swing. <laughs> it's just hard because it's always rainy and then we got to make sure the cats are inside and we can't move anything out into the rain. And then so we have to wait till springtime. And also, I don't want to. I really don't want to. <laughs> It'll be easy, though. But it's I got to find one. at some point I, I got to find that uh, bag I have full of all my shorts. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Release my shorts. Garage. Garage. <laughs> I really don't know how people maintain perfect homes. I've organized bedrooms at least. Yeah. The rest of the house. Organization is... does not exist in my brain. But the bedroom is just like, that's where you just throw everything on the ground <laughs> and fall asleep. And I'm sick of judging myself for it. For example, the ladies are answering the question, how many golden girls would it take to change a light bulb in the hallway? And apparently it's three. As Dorothy would do the climbing and changing, Blanche would hold the ladder that she's atop, and Rose would keep a lookout. But Rose really meant more of a bigger project, the kind you wish you had a whole day and team to focus on, because if you could just get a little bit of time, you could get it done. But then the pandemic happened, and suddenly we all had the time, but then we couldn't focus on things like that. Then we felt bad, maybe even still do, for not getting them done. So was it time or will? You know, that kind of project. On Rose's list is relining the kitchen shelves, rearranging the living room, or as Blanche suggests, bingo. Well, that wasn't really a suggestion. That was her way of saying, yes, let's replace the shelf liner. A horrible task that I do not envy. Coco, did you ever have to do that with a family member, your mom or somebody? No, I got real lucky. She definitely had several wallpaper phases. Oh, God. And I I avoided them. I, I feel that I somehow portrayed incompetence yeah and a total lack of interest yes <laughs> i was not having that i was oh, not going to do a good job if i had to work on yeah. it yeah with the task decided rose suggests they break into teams work together and grease up their hands which is exactly what blanche was arrested for while partying in chattanooga tennessee once earning a stare of horror and curiosity from dorothy before they can tackle the shelves or Blanche's police record, Rose is horrified to find a box of cookies in her drawer, as there had apparently been a recent conversation about banning the treat from the home. When Blanche takes the box with glee, Rose is worried she's going to eat them. But sarcastic Dorothy assures her, no, she's not going to do that. That would be silly. She's going to take the cookies to another country and try to use them as currency. The division of the work has now changed from tackling the shelves to tackling the cookies. After taking the bus, we finally get to see Sophia in nectarine buying action as we pass by these 69-cent apples. 
Boing. Nice. We find a store full of busy shoppers. There are a lot of guest actors in this episode, and here's our first. Shouting across the produce section, Sophia asks, no, she demands to know if there are any better nectarines around. The clerk she's harassing is played by Nick DeMauro. Throughout his still successful career, he appeared on Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, T.J. Hooker, Remington Steel, Cheers, Moonlighting, Knots Landing, Designing Women, Married with Children, Columbo, Webster, Beauty and the Beast, Life Goes On, Matlock, Growing Pains, Vampire in Brooklyn, Sister, Sister, Moesha, Melrose Place, La Heat, Monk, Without a Trace, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Southland, and Ray Donovan, just to name a few. The clerk takes no issue with Sophia's attitude, and he even matches it. He disagrees that the nectarines are unripe, grabbing one, holding it up to her, and saying it's the most beautiful fruit he's ever seen, to which Sophia suggests he kiss her ass because it's a real peach. What is that? It's avocado. They're, like, so ripe. What does that mean? Ripe. Is that good? Ripe is good, right? What does that mean? (laughs) You never heard that word? No, I know what ripe means, but I don't know exactly. Like, when you say, oh, the bananas are ripe, I don't know if it's, like, they still need to be... So you don't know what right means. (laughs) I know the context of what it is. But not what it is. But not exactly what it is. All right. He's gone his whole life, 29 years, with not knowing what right means. Like, does he eat fully green bananas? When another woman of Sophia's age, which, like J-Lo in Marry Me, is north of 35, spots her, she hollers out for her friend. Still spicy, Sophia doesn't greet her pal. Instead, she claims to be famed labor leader and activist Cesar Chavez, known mostly for his work founding the Nation Farm Workers Association, hence the joke of her grabbing produce. If you're a fan of Adam Sandler movies, you'll recognize several of today's guests. For my generation, Frances Bay, or Claire, is best known for playing Adam Sandler's grandmother in Happy Gilmore. Sir, um, could I trouble you for a glass of warm milk? It helps put me to sleep. You could trouble me for a warm glass of shut the hell up. Now you will go to sleep, or I will put you to sleep. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. Oh, dear. The Canadian queen had nearly 200 credits to her name in a career spanning just shy of 50 years. Like Betty, she got her start in radio back in the 1930s. Her credits include, but are far from limited to, Caveman, Hannah Montana, My Name is Earl, The Wedding Planner, The Hughleys, Seinfeld, Clueless TV Show, Krippendorf's Tribe, The X-Files, The Ben Stiller Show, Empty Nest, Single White Female, Critters 3, Twin Peaks, Arachnophobia, Tales from the Crypt, Alf, Newhart, The Karate Kid Part 1 and 3, where she played different characters, <laughs> Twins, Big Top Peewee, St. Elsewhere, My Sister Sam, Sidekicks, Blue Velvet, Happy Days, Remington Steel, The Dukes of Hazard, The Jeffersons, Chips, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Kojak, and of course, La La, and Coco. Fave in the mouth of madness. She plays a sweet innkeeper in a town that shouldn't exist. Oh. Directed by John Carpenter. Oh. I love that movie. And she's great in it. It's very slimy. <laughs> and here's a clip. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. <sighs> Overhearing her friend's disagreement with the clerk, Claire shares she can relate. She's been getting grief from the employees, too. For Sophia, it's all just a reminder that no one except for animated Boy Scouts are looking out for the older ladies of the world. They have to take care of themselves and each other. Wait, where have I heard that before? 
you're better off moving on. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. Checking in with her friend's issues, Claire shares that she, while wearing a fabulously royal blue dress and delightful quilted jacket, tried to return a lamb chop. When she got home and took it out of the wrapping, the once delicious-looking piece of meat was actually all fat. In a moment reminiscent of, well, every time I've gone anywhere with anyone, Sophia is being begged, please don't make a scene. Well, sorry, Claire, sometimes you have to make a respectful scene to get stuff done. And usually, at least for me, the scene isn't the goal. Maybe I just have a question about something. I'm not trying to get special treatment or anything, but sometimes stuff just happens, as Coco can attest. Although I don't think I've ever made a scene with you. We end up in scenes sometimes. Yeah, I don't think you've ever done that around me. Good. Made a scene. But sometimes we are the scene. (laughs) Baby. So with Sophia at her side, Claire once again approaches the clerk in an attempt to get her money back. Before she can even ask, he puts his foot down. He has already told her the sale is final. Cue Sophia, who asks the man if he's willing to sign a legal affidavit, swearing that he is unable to take the lamb back. An affidavit provided by NOPRL, the network of older people retired but living. As the former president of and current legal counsel for the made-up organization, Sophia threatens the store with legal issues, as she has a better case than Mary Tyler Moore alum Valerie Harper. Okay, I had no idea any of this had happened until the research for this episode. But apparently there was a huge legal fight between Valerie, of Rhoda fame, and Lorimar, the production company. First, there was the second season of Rhoda in 1975. It was a hit and she wanted her pay increase from $10,000 a week to $17,500. She got it as they wanted her to return. Then there was Valerie, which we've talked about before as it eventually morphed into the Hogan family starring Jason Bateman. Once again, she was at the helm of a successful show and wanted more pay and more control. So she left the show. For doing so, Lorimar sued her for $70 million. She said her demands hadn't been met and countersued for $180 million. The jury agreed with Valerie but she was only awarded $1.5 million. In addition, she was given 12.5% of Valerie, or Valerie's family, or Hogan's family, profits. Overhearing trigger words like legal and lawsuit, the store manager steps in. He's being played by David Selberg, who you may have seen on CSI, Star Trek Enterprise, The Born Identity, ER, Dirt Merchant, The Practice, Clueless, Party of Five, Species, Star Trek Voyager, Menendez, A Killing in Beverly Hills, Matlock, The Wonder Years, Life Goes On, Hill Street Blues, Knott's Landing, Newhart, and Falcon Crest. Sharp Eyes also may have caught a familiar shopper in the background, just over Sophia's shoulder. Ruth Cohen appeared in the actor episode where we talked about her fame as the fifth Seinfeld member as she was frequently seen working behind the register at the cafe. Now that the big wig is involved, Sophia ups the ante. She's filing a class action lawsuit against the store, and in mere seconds, this has gone from a no-prol issue to one that can only be handled by ORIP, the Organization of Retired and Elderly People. Not only was she also an executive director for ORIP, she organized a march on her favorite department store, Neiman Marcus. Hearing such concerning information, the manager is desperate to quell the senior uprising. When Sophia says a refund of Claire's $1.17 charge for the fatty meat would do just that, the manager pulls the cash from his pocket. With Claire and her money reunited, it's time to get back to the crappy nectarine. 
asking the same manager she just hustled, his lack of interest in doing any more transactions with Sophia is working out in her favor. He tells her to just take it. Well, she can't do that. It's against the rules of all of her made-up organizations. So the manager tells her the real price. Okay, 45 cents. That's an outrageous cost. Nobody tell her that they now cost about 85 cents. And don't get me started on the $10 lamb chops. As Sophia complains about the cost to quality ratio of the nectarine, the two settle on a 25 cent price. Even though the manager gave Sophia extra money on the refund and told her to keep the change, she gave the change to Claire. Sophia then rudely demands Claire to give the quarter to the manager for the nectarine. See? The bossiness. I get that she helped her get her money in the first place, but even a joke of, as your legal counsel, my fee is 25 cents, or something, would have softened the blow. Perhaps that's just her Brooklyn toughness ruffling my delicate West Coast nature. Back to the house, the ladies have completed one task already. They've eaten the box of cookies. As they snack, Blanche is wrapping up a story involving consomme, a clear soup made from broth, gazpacho, a cold soup made of spices and blended veggies, and how the mix-up of those dishes led to her pouring the cold soup in her waiter's pans. So no, Dorothy, the two didn't date. She just slept with him. Again with some judgment, Rose can't believe, still Rose after all these years, that Blanche would have casually slept with a waiter that wasn't her type. But Dorothy assures her, Blanche was just teasing, because that's what you do to someone you love. Or in Blanche's case, you tease and tickle. Well, and you spank. And love has nothing to do with it. Before Blanche can blow a gasket or anything else for that matter, Dorothy calms her down with a gentle touch to the arm. Back to reality, Blanche has lost what point she was making. But Rose never forgets a story about tickling or teasing. Which reminds Blanche of her college years when she was dating a Preston boy in Vallea. Yes, he was teased often, but not because of his scrabble bag of a last name. No, Preston suffered from macrotia. The boy had huge, basset-hound-esque ears. Back to teasing the ones you love, Preston and Blanche had been set up on a blind date. When he showed up with those large ears, she was kind of taken aback. She muttered a greeting, but he said he couldn't hear her, which was shocking to Blanche, who commented she thought that with those ears, he could have overheard the U.S. government broadcast network Radio Free Europe, which provided news, information, and reports to Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. It was created in an effort to provide news to countries that hadn't developed the technology to receive such information, or that the spreading of had been banned. The girls all share a genuine hearty laugh around the table as Blanche brings the point home. Because she was able to turn her nerves into a joke, the two were more comfortable with each other right away and they ended up dating for a few months. Bonus, she learned and then educated the girls on the fact that unlike shoe size, but as it is with nose size, according to Blanche, a man's ears relate directly to the size of other body parts. What did you say about the nose? The nose is related? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Why are you saying, uh-oh? Oh, I don't know. I just don't have a very big nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's average size. That people I'd thought say. it was. Yeah. People thought it was shoe size, but it's more nose size. And I always say it's hand size. Rose, unsurprisingly, is confused. Dorothy, the teacher, is here to clear things up. Preston, because of his ears, had a very large pancreas. 
Now that the cookies are gone, Dorothy's hoping they can get back on track, or at least get started on a track, of getting the shelves done. But Blanche has a much better, albeit high school slumber party in a movie idea. Instead of taking the day to work, they should go rent a porn. I'm sure Sophia can recommend some of the good ones. Get day drunk off mimosas and not just kiss, but French kiss the pillows. That makes my sensory issues go berserk and also reminds me of a fun story from Disneyland about French kissing. Coco? We were in line for, what is that called? Soren. And we were standing in line for like a half hour and we were standing next to a a family that was uh, looked like a father figure. Two kids standing there. They're about 13 and then a, a, slight, a somewhat younger girl sitting on the railing next to her dad. You'd say she's what, eight, nine? Yeah, something like okay. that. And she turns to her father and she says, French kiss me, daddy. <laughs> and they quickly kiss each other on the cheeks. And he's like, don't say that that loud. He's like, no, no, it's like a European kiss. It's a European kiss. Uh, But the shock on his face was pretty cool. Because of the fear of what happened, which is we overheard it. And now it's a joke forever. At least uh, at least we heard it. And I think probably a bunch of people overheard a little girl say, French kiss me, daddy. (laughs) I love it because it's so upsetting, but it's so innocent. And that's such a little kid thing to like learn something new like oh, my dad taught me this is a European kiss, you know, and then they, like, want to do it all the time. And she may have heard the word before, the term before. And French kissing, yeah, it must be, that must be what French kissing is. Yeah. And now we reference it uh, daily, almost. Yeah, French kiss me, daddy. (laughs) We're going to get t-shirts made and stuff. (laughs) So shout out to that family and that dad who is just trying to teach her something new. And it went so wrong. As riled up about the idea as Blanche is, Dorothy is not on the same page. Rose didn't have a say on the kissing, but presents another task as an option. They can rearrange the living room. Perhaps hoping to get back on the whole movie-drink-pillow plan, Blanche suggests that, since they're trying to think of things for Sophia to do, why not let the furniture rearrangement plan be one of those things? It almost works until Dorothy reminds her that her mother is always worn out from her little adventure to the store. It makes her so tired, in fact, she always naps upon returning, just like Blanche after a date. Well, that does it for Rose. She just wants to go get it done right now. We're at the beautiful boardwalk that has been home to such memorable moments as Sophia being caught smooching Fidel in front of Blanche and Sophia hanging out with Alvin, making everyone cry. And how the hell is Blanche and Dorothy's ice cream not melting? As a couple walks by a sad band of horn players, we see Sophia is the band leader, but she's fed up with their dreary honkings. For months, she's been working with the band to raise money for a clinic, but now she feels like they've lost their edge. One of the band members has an idea as to why they might not have a crowd today. To inspire her girls, Sophia reminds them to not fall from grace as so many others, like Mike Douglas, the former big band era singer and entertainer who went on to famously host a talk show before dying of dehydration while playing golf in Florida, and Ferdinand Marcos, a name you may have heard in the news lately as his son Bongbong Marcos is now the president of the Philippines after his father famously presided over the country before having to run away after implementing martial law and then stealing from and corrupting the country. Now, the band Sophia's berating doesn't need much of a push to be great. They are the Dixie Bells, 
an actual band that had been around since the early 60s. The Memphis ladies had all performed with other artists as backup singers or performers before banding together. They had a few charting songs that landed in the top 20, like this one, Down at Papa Joe's. As Sophia sulks about the band's performance, two of the gals join her. To decide who will be paying for lunch, they compare each other's most recent blood pressure numbers. Esther, played by Peggy Gilbert, has the worst, so she's buying. Peggy also made an appearance on Married with Children. Again, judgy Sophia, who will be buying a sausage from a cart when it comes by, tells her friend not to be careful what she eats, but just to stay away from the sausage man. I know, I think she means well, but her delivery is just a little harsh. I believe the other woman she's speaking with about going to an art class where they're trying to get a local hunk to pose nude is Marion Wells. She, too, only appeared with the girls and unmarried with children. Sadly, Maury, the man Sophia hopes to see naked, will only be down to his truss, the band he wears for his hernia. As impressive as that is to Sophia, she has plans to go volunteer at the hospital. Not because she's sick, although she hasn't exactly felt healthy since Hugh Downs, known by my generation for his work alongside the late Barbara Walters on 2020, who had been at the Today Show desk from 1962 to 1971. So Sophia's been struggling for about 18 years? Looking back to the gazebo stage, Sophia notices that there is a quickly developing crowd. The woman speaking to someone in the crowd is Gloria Leroy, and she has had quite the career. She has appeared in Shameless, Desperate Housewives, Rules of Engagement, Malcolm in the Middle, Drake and Josh, Charmed, My Wife and Kids, Frasier, Diagnosis, Murder, Dharma and Greg, Passions, The Young and the Restless, Family Matters, The Larry Sanders Show, Doogie Howser, MD, Falcon Crest, Hill Street Blues, Three's Company, Alice, Gunsmoke, Love, American Style, and All in the Family, where she played Mildred Boom Boom Turner, and she was quite the fox. What's the sense of being alone with your boyfriend if your mother keeps calling? There's nothing wrong with that. We plan to get married as soon as he gets his divorce. With a new fire lit under her, Sophia gets the band back together, encouraging them to remember why they're there in the first place, to blow them horns and earn some funds. With that speech, the band gets to it with some When the Saints Go Marching In. I love this part of the show. Not only are these ladies actually rocking out, but the drummer will always have a special place in my heart. Seriously, have you ever seen anyone so happy to be doing literally anything? Someday I'll be getting a Golden Girls-related tattoo, possibly with Quentin Tarantino as Elvis, which is a story for another time, but I might have to add some element of this drum and granny in the background. As for the origins of The Saints, well, they are unknown. It is believed the song is an amalgamation of other black spirituals, like when the saints are marching in and when the saints are marching in for crowning. It was first recorded in 1923, but there is no known writer. While the song has been played at countless events by countless bands and performers, Louis Armstrong's version is one of the more beloved. Now when the saints go marching in, yes, I to be. Back at the house, the rain has passed and the ladies are still at the table. But now it's hard to decide what to do as they're ready for a post-cookie and pizza nap. I guess they ordered and ate a pizza while Sophia was conducting, and now it's hard to decide what to do as they're ready for a post-cookie and pizza nap. 
which is the same as how Blanche is always ready to go to bed when dinner is bought for her, as Rose points out. Unsure if she should be angry or flattered, Blanche demands to know who spread such a nasty rumor. Well, it was no rumor. It was what Rose recalled from a nasty catfight at the salon when Agnes said Blanche was full of hot air, and Blanche rebutted that Agnes was just cranky because she wasn't getting any, leaving Rose to wonder what the any was, forcing Blanche to sarcastically answer, rice pudding. And before we can hear more of this dramatic tale, Blanche redirects the energy back to the furniture plan. Dorothy disagrees. It is no longer a rainy day. They can go out and do whatever. They should save the big project for an actual rainy day and not start in the afternoon with bellies full of pizza. Rose can't stand the idea of wasting a whole day like that, though. They'll regret it. But geez, Rose, it's just a lazy day. It's not something permanent like a tattoo. But the idea of wasted time is disgusting to Rose, which, if I had to guess, wasn't that much different than how Betty must have been in real life. That woman hustled and worked every day. I'm sure she had thoughts about not getting things done. As for Rose, the hatred of laziness came from an incident in St. Olaf. Blanche can't help but acknowledge the irony of Rose telling a long, boring, unnecessary story about St. Olaf as a lesson as to why you shouldn't waste time. Rose, of course, doesn't see it. So back to when Rose had just moved into a new house, her neighbor, Pigpen Johansson, though Johansson was a nickname, and as an 80-year-old, he was not allowed to teach drivers education anymore, not because he was old, but because he struggled with keeping a shirt on. And the idea of a teacher in a vehicle with students without a shirt while having the name Pigpen, yeesh. Blanche isn't surprised to hear of this you-must-wear-a-shirt-while-driving law, in Chattanooga, she was also arrested for that offense. <laughs> Skipping to the real question, Dorothy wonders aloud if Blanche is even permitted in the Tennessee city any longer. <laughs> of course she is. The sheriff, who still writes her letters, was quite the fan. No longer a driver's ed teacher, Pigpen was given the job of hanging the Welcome to St. Olaf sign. Forgetting to put it up on an important road, the governor, who was coming to St. Olaf for a visit, accidentally drove right through the town, never knowing that they did so. Dorothy was surprised to hear the vacant look on everyone's faces wasn't enough of a clue. So the lesson was Pigpen wasn't doing his job and it messed up the governor's visit. An infraction so serious, Piggy's photo was taken down off the auto shop wall which was quite the statement as another automobile great hung beside him, Andy Granatelli, who I believe we spoke about before. He was the CEO of STP, which made oil and other car stuff, and was a figure in racing. The trench coat Rose is referring to was made famous when he wore it in STP commercials. And according to Rose's mother, who used to date him, he used the coat to hide his wrench. No wonder Rose's mom was into him, just listen to the charm. Hi, Andy Granatelli for STP Gasoline Treatment. It puts more power in your engine and less pollution in the air. As Rose twaddles on about how her mother and Andy crossed paths, we get to go back to the Biscayne General Hospital. Inside, we find Sophia shuffling in, wearing her yellow volunteer smock, arriving a few minutes after one. Her supervisor is pissed, but as a volunteer, she knows there isn't much he can do in the way of reprimanding. So they get to today's patients. She needs to visit a few patients throughout the hospital, and when she gets a break, she has to deliver flowers. To which I say, sir, that is no break. I will deliver the flowers during my scheduled volunteer hours. 
Sophia basically says the same thing, referring to the Teamsters Union as she dismisses the grumpy man. As her boss, or perhaps just another volunteer, is excused from his shift, he shares that Sophia's boyfriend, Sam, came by to see her. News she is delighted to hear. Then Abe, her co-volunteer, leaves, giving Sophia the sass she deserves since she's been such a pill to him. Playing Abe is Alan Bloomfield. He appeared in Old School, ER, Mad About You, Dave's World, The Nanny, The Wonder Years, Picket Fences, Seinfeld, and Cold Dog Soup. This appearance with the girls was only his second role. Did you say Cold Dog Soup? Sure did. (laughs) If it's for a dog, it's gross. If it's made of dog, it's even worse. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's a movie starring Randy Quaid. Michael meets a cute girl and has dinner at her mom's. Sadly, the dog dies and he has to bury it. The mad cab driver suggests selling the cold dog. An adventurous night begins. Did Randy Quaid write that? Because it sounds like a Quaid joint. Good God. Wow. And the people in it, we've got Frank Whaley, Dante Basco, Rufi. Oh, Oh, good for him. Alan Bloomfield. Legend. So... We might have to watch Cold Dogs. <laughs> what year is that from? Uh, 1990. Oh, no. This sounds so bizarre. Why don't we take a listen to a moment of Cold Dog Soup? This always happens. <laughs> Ever have an accident? Not yet. The night Michael came to dinner. I want to be your suck oven. He found more on his plate than he bargained for. <laughs> Fool, we haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> Cold Dog Soup. <sighs> Can't wait to watch that. Unaffected by Abe's rude remarks, Sophia yells to him that he's only jealous because he can't have her, earning tilted heads and shocked eyes from the ladies in the waiting room. But they shouldn't be so surprised. For Sophia, Biscayne Hospital is a passionate soap opera of its own, able to compete with the drama of General Hospital. As Sophia gets back to her work, a tiny woman with a tiny voice and an oversized walker approaches her desk to ask if any flowers were sent for her. Sophia barks no. The woman, desperate for a yes, gives her name just so she could double check. Sophia doesn't need to be told her name. The woman checks at the desk every single day, and there are never any flowers. You might recognize that little woman as our other Adam Sandler guest star, Mrs. Leonard, who is being played by Ellen Albertinet who may be better known as the rappin' granny who pays for music lessons with meatballs from one of my all-time favorites, The Wedding Singer. I said hip-hop. I hit it to the hip to the hip-hip-hop. You don't stop the rock to the bang-bang-boom. You say up, jump the boom to the rhythm of the boom to the boom. Of course, she played a hundred more characters than that in her career, like those she portrayed on Frank the Bastard, New Girl, Family Guy, Shameless, American Dad, Wedding Crashers, Six Feet Under, Scrubs, Will and Grace, Just Shoot Me, Patch Adams, The Nanny, Dave's World, Ned and Stacy, ER, Seinfeld, Problem Child 3, Empty Nest, Family Matters, Star Trek, The Next Generation. She was a singing sister in Sister Act and Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, Quantum Leap, Wings, The Wonder Years, Designing Women, Murphy Brown, Newhart, Freddy's Nightmares, Webster, Mr. Belvedere, Moonlighting, Beauty and the Beast, Munchies, Highway to Heaven, Body Slam, The Twilight Zone, And fun fact, this is her first of three appearances with the girls. Munchies? Munchies. Wow. That's the Gremlins knockoff, right? Or Critters? The real cheap Gremlins knockoff, yeah. Where they, I think there's one of them that wears a little leather jacket. (laughs) One of the Munchies. Munchies. (laughs) Was Critters a Gremlins knockoff? 
Uh, yeah, I'd say so. So is Munchies like a third tier? Definitely, it's yeah. It's like the Dollar Tree version yeah. of... Yeah, Critters is good, but yeah, it's definitely a, a Gremlins <laughs> offshoot. Though I would say... Better? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. I think Gremlins is overrated. <gasps> and Critters 2, did you say that the other grandma was in Critters 2? Um, she was in Critters 3. Oh, that's the one with, I think that's the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think you're right. Yep. I hate you. I wish you were dead. Going back to, because we didn't really discuss Francis Bay, the first grandma. Mm -hmm. Two different characters in Karate Kid. Yeah, I, I would like to see this <laughs> and understand it. I mean, we get that. We've definitely had it with Golden Girls. You know, we've got what's his name who played the clown and the plumber. And you get that with little character actors, but that's pretty funny in a movie to be like, it's okay. Nobody will notice. <laughs> Nobody likes these movies that not, that much to pay attention. One old lady's the same <laughs> as another <laughs> old lady. All the same. <laughs> Ma'am, are you old? Are, you look like the other one. <laughs> In what seems like a moment of Sophia having empathy for this woman, she stops her from leaving by changing her mind. Actually, there are flowers. In fact, she can take the whole cart of them. Not because Sophia is so giving, but because she doesn't want to deal with making the deliveries. And of course, I can't help but panic thinking, you're taking all of those notes off of there. And now no one will know. And now you have all these calls of people being like, did you get my flowers? And then they didn't. And now it's a real conundrum. It's a great conundrum. It's a great conundrum. Rolling into the room is Sam, Sophia's boyfriend. And he really is a boyfriend, as Sam is just 10 or maybe 12. This is one of Don Coco Burnaby's two acting credits, his others coming from Family Prayers. Is that kid's middle name? Is that kid's name was Coco? It was, um, oh, I think so. It's in, it's in quotes, and it's K-O-K-K-O. Coco? Well, I'm Coco, also... Coco? Yeah. Before Sam and Sophia can wrap up their conversation, a woman wanting to get an update on her husband interrupts. This woman is being played by Darlene Carden. This appearance was actually her first acting credit. She would go on to appear in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, New Girl, Shameless, Rules of Engagement, Monk, Desperate Housewives, Nip Tuck, Without a Trace, King of Queens, A Mighty Wind, ER, Friends, La Heat, Gilmore Girls, The Gregory Hines Show, Fresh Prince, Full House, Step by Step, Seinfeld, Jake and the Fat Man, and of course, La La. Mrs. Carp is concerned about her husband's prostate surgery. To comfort the woman, Sophia shares that there's no update, but she went through the same thing about 20 years prior, so she's sure he'll be fine. This leaves the woman confused, as only people born with male genitalia have prostates. Clarifying, the woman asked how she could have had the surgery. Sophia first shouts that she's not a cross-dresser. Oh, boy. Before explaining that she went through the same waiting that this woman is dealing with when Sal was under the knife. The woman takes her seat and Sophia gets back to checking in on Sam. Fading from the hospital, we return to the house where Blanche and Dorothy are fading from still listening to Rose's story about St. Olaf, Lars, and Herring Krispies, a treat that goes great with the sour, beet-riddled soup, Borscht. Saved by the bell, Blanche excuses herself from the audible torture to get the cake out of the oven, a cake they must have made while Rose was talking. Realizing how long it's been, Dorothy's starting to grow curious as to why her mother isn't home from the store yet. Rose thinks it's because the walking and bus riding must have wiped her out. But Dorothy assures her the issue with Sophia isn't that she can't physically muster the energy to be productive, 
more so that she doesn't care about doing something with it. Dorothy's grandmother was 94 years old when she passed, having spent all of her days up to the very last one being busy, social, and energetic. She can still hear her saying, Come on, you snot-nosed little rugrats. Pick up those jacks. They're putting holes in my tires. Which is fun because it's not only Dorothy who portrays her own grandmother, so the voice is spot on, but it reminds us all of our own nasty grandmothers. Another fun fact about Dorothy's grandmother, in 1952, she became involved in politics. She didn't like how uncatholic and liberated Italy had become under Eisenhower, which included such appalling behaviors as eating meat on Fridays and using condoms for birth control. So she worked to get behind candidate Adelaide Stevenson, the grandson of Adelaide Stevenson, the 23rd vice president and former governor of Illinois. On two occasions, he was the Democratic nominee for president, but he never made it to the big dance, losing both times to Dwight Eisenhower. He tried again, hoping the third time would be the charm, but then some kid named John Kennedy showed up, and that was that. Kennedy was nice enough to let Stevenson in his cabinet as a U.N. ambassador. In the end, Grandma didn't get far in politics, and she didn't create life on Venus. She was an old lady who died. Rose, taking after my own heart and having to ask how she died immediately after learning she did, presents the question to Dorothy. I'm sure the real answer was that she was 94 years old and maybe died in her sleep, or, like my Grammy, while doing it. Instead, Dorothy makes up the story that, like a sickly cat, her grandmother just rolled away from home one night. The only evidence that remained was the oversized wheels on the neighborhood kids' go-kart. Blanche has another idea. Remind Sophia of how her mother was. Maybe she'll be inspired. Yeah, like how when I see my mother in her mid-60s, running errands every day, keeping an immaculate house, doing her hair, makeup, being social. Yeah, it's not really inspiring. Just a reminder that I'm not my mother. As the three ladies contemplate their own aging and generations before them, they realize they're getting desperate to find something to do to be able to say they did something that day. That's when they come up with a plan close to mine and Coco's hearts. They better get into the living room, because Jeopardy is about to start. Woo! <laughs> yeah, Jeopardy! We love it! <laughs> See, children, since these were pre-DVR days, they had to get to the TV so they wouldn't miss the show. And since Jeopardy, for the most part, is an evening show, I would guess that it's maybe around 6 or 7 p.m. But this is nothing to laugh at. Coco and I find Jeopardy to be a very important part of our lives. Isn't that right, Coco? It's one of the pillars that holds up my life. <laughs> it's our sports. The ladies finally get up from the table and leave the kitchen for Cake and Trebek, and we find ourselves back at Biscayne, where Sophia and Sam are playing the string game Cat's Cradle. The gameplay has Sam worried Sophia is shirking her duties at the hospital. But she knows the people that need directions can wait. The time with Sam is more important to both of them. When Sam shares that his parents stopped by earlier in the day to give him some comic books, Sophia remembers she never let her son Phil have them. Perhaps she thought they were too violent or would give him ideas. But what did that matter? When he was a teenager, they were sharing an underwear drawer. I know that joke is about Phil being a cross-dresser, which probably started with him shopping around in his mom's closet. But sharing underwear with your mother? That feels like a very different situation. I thought of it as a joke that, okay, they're sharing underwear, but now I'm feeling more um, that she's being compassionate, that maybe she was offering him a safe space to store his lacy stuff or something. Like he couldn't keep that in his drawer in case a sibling found it or a friend 
So maybe that's what it was. I'm going to think that. And so that's nice. Instead of the other way. Instead of just sharing underwear. (laughs) As she always does, Sophia brought Sam his gift, a nectarine. He rolls his eyes at the fruit. Not only does he not want it, he doesn't need to eat. Sophia disagrees. He needs to eat and needs to eat healthy. And then the bomb that sneaks compassion and a statement into the episode. While the AIDS epidemic was in full swing in 1987, having already taken over 20,000 lives, finally, Reagan acknowledged it existed and was affecting all Americans. This episode came out only a year after that. And without ever saying the words, the writers were able to show that this wasn't some sort of vengeance from God against gay people. This was an illness that didn't care what age, race, gender, or affiliation you were. So here is sweet Sam, who we've already fallen in love with. And then we learn he has AIDS and feels like his life, thanks to an infected blood transfusion, was essentially over. So if you were a bigot in the late 80s and thought AIDS was just, perhaps seeing this sweet little boy who, like every other person who contracted AIDS, had done nothing to deserve it, maybe made people think twice. Sophia energetically believes that any moment of any day someone could find a cure and Sam could live a long, wonderful life. But right now, all they have is today, and they have to use that day to feel hopeful. So there they are together with a day, hope, and a nectarine. After they share their sweet moment, we get back to the house where we find the girls curled up on the couch, having just finished watching Jeopardy. But if you listen closely, you'll actually hear the theme music to grab that dough. Instead of watching their second favorite game show, well, it might not be a favorite anymore after their traumatizing experience, Rose realizes... They wasted the day. Ah, but Dorothy begs to differ. They had to figure out the hard way that you can eat a fruit cocktail on a bagel. Coming in the front door, Sophia is finally home. She's surprised to see the girls are already ready for bed, when in reality, they are me, and they forgot to change out of their pajamas. Unprompted, Dorothy tells her mother, and possibly defends her actions to herself, that they just took care of some odds and ends. Asking Sophia what her day consisted of, she tells them she did what she does every day. She bought a nectarine. Coco, you had never seen this episode, correct? That is correct, yeah. And what were your thoughts? I like the structure of it that we kind of kept going back and that Sophia had an A story and then the B story was just them sitting around and talking and stuff. But I like that I like that it was they were like commenting on her while she was out. I don't know. That was it. Was cool. It was kind of different. I thought mm-hmm. for them to kind of have the the secondary story be way lower uh, drama yeah. and priority wise. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny in points. I love seeing the boardwalk. <laughs> and I was really surprised at that that quick turn. It was kind of like whiplash to find out about what's what was uh, going on with that kid. Right. But it was good, and it was like a it was kind of a, a quick, you know, somewhat subtle way to address that and to 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 state what side they are on. Yeah. And who they are who they stand with, who they yeah. who they want to take care of. And I really like that. It felt it feels to me too, you know, the more I watch it, thinking maybe they maybe the writers, maybe the whole team was like, we want to do an episode talking about AIDS and the network wouldn't let them. I wouldn't be surprised. So yeah. it kind of feels like maybe that's why it had to like the agreement became it can be a kid, you know, couldn't be a gay man. It oh, can it ha- be a kid. Can't, yeah, it can't have to do, it can't be sexual. It can't be sexual. Yeah. 
and it can't be like the main thing and you can't make any comment on it politically or otherwise. Because later we do have an AIDS episode. I can't remember what season. I think season six. So we have one coming up that definitely tackles it directly. Like that's kind of the whole episode. But I think for the time it, it was like they, yeah, they wanted to say something. They were like, we're not, this is a gay man show. This is, you know, we've got writers and directors and viewers and all these people who are directly affected by this. It's just there. And she's playing with him. I think that was big. You know, yeah. we watched that Barbara Walters special yesterday. And, and one of the segments she did, she's like, this baby has AIDS. And now people will probably be scared to even shake my hand because mm -hmm. I was holding this baby. And so showing her like playing a hands-on game with him and sharing food with him and all of that, it's like a way bigger statement, I think, than anything they could have directly like. This is a good show. <laughs> As much as this isn't my favorite episode, there are a lot of good takeaways. First, you can't judge someone's life from the snippet you see. That's as effective as judging a seven-layer dip by the top layer. You may only know someone in a work setting or a friend setting. We are complicated, as are our lives. So unless someone is having a mental or physical health crisis, there is no need to spend time coming up with ways to correct someone else's life. Second, both of the days we saw are okay. Between the pandemic and my ADHD diagnosis of recent, I've learned it's okay to listen to my body. If I wake up ready to roll and to get to work and to stay busy until it's dark, that feels fantastic. If I can't get going, focused, or feel tired, it's okay that I take a nap or leave the dishes for another day. I won't guilt myself. I won't feel bad. It's not a day of life I've lost. As long as I don't let it slip into depression territory, Taking time to be lazy, to talk with friends, to do nothing, is still doing something. Just as Sophia's busy day of volunteering didn't automatically make her a good person, being unproductive doesn't make you a bad person. Be it that you are 12 or 94, life is short and goes by fast. It's worse to have lost out on time by beating yourself up for not doing something than having not done it. Life is also hard. So I guess in the wise words of Jerry Springer, Take care of yourself. And each other. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we meet a real ham in The One That Got Away. Uh, rolling and going. Uh, well, I was making butter, and when you get about halfway through, you get a bunch of whey that you have to dump out. That's like the watery part. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind whey, because with <laughs> without whey, with if you didn't have the whey, you wouldn't get the curds. That's right. If you didn't have the curds, you wouldn't get the cheese. That's right. If you didn't get the cheese, you're not getting that. Uh, well, quesarito <laughs> from Taco Bell. Everybody knows that. Delicious. Curdled Mutant Ninja Turtles, Curdled Mutant Ninja Turtles, Curdled Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles who are curdled, Curdle Power, Curdstools. You'd say you'd call them Curdstools. No, <laughs> absolutely right. not. Why no, did I that, mean, why it did was that come nobody. up? Why did this come up? Because the episode is called. I'm literally a oh, paragraph in. <laughs> I was no, no. Well, I was thinking about something. Uh, I was trying to collect a thought for something on the show, and it just—it was that, and then I got distracted hearing that. I'm very sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
Nobody. Blair Brown, Alan, Al. <gasps> Blair Al- Brown? Yeah. I love Blair Brown. Garber out, right? Does he get drowned? Yeah. We don't see it, but he has a seat. He just takes a seat? I think so, yeah. What are you going to do? In the sea. I've built you a fine ship, Rose. I'm sorry I couldn't build you a better ship, Rose. Well, that was better. No. I mean, you went a little Lucky Charms with it. Well, I don't know how to, I know. (laughs) Poor Rose. I didn't think it was good. (laughs) (laughs) They're always after me, Freightliner. You son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, the last time I, I saw that movie in a theater, I was a virgin. No, I'm not. I swear. (laughs) I did it twice. Oh my God, we're going to be out here for five hours. Go. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought nectarine was more of a orangey type. I thought it was some sort of hybrid fruit or something. Yeah. We were real fruit idiots. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, An art redo in the living room. Hello, yes. My name is Art Redo in the living room. <laughs> How can I help you? What are you looking for? <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Art Redo. Art Redo. <laughs> That's what happens when you're living in baby heaven. <laughs> Locals only. Which is exactly what Blanche was arrested for. War par par par. He disagrees that the nectar. He dick dick agrees. You gotta get some cold duck. Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's still around, I think. From ten thousand a week to seventeen fifty. Nope. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I'm having a bad eye day. Dorothy calms her down with a gentle tip. Titch to the arm. Sound like me doing the uh, Irish accent. It was created in an effort to provide news to Rose. Unsurprisingly, is confused. Dorothy, the teacher, is here to clear. <clears throat> Hello? Coco? What? What did you say? I was I on I was looking at something else. I'm so sorry. I'm having a hard time focusing. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what was the question? And where did that cup go that's normally in the water dispenser area of the fridge? They finally repaired their water machine and didn't have to have it there to catch the drippings. Do you know anyone that has, I know of two people off the top of my head that have a water thing in the fridge and they both have to have towels because of the ice dropping and the water drippings. They, they shouldn't be together. The water and ice? The water and ice in the fridge. Oh, on the fridge. The hybrid has never been really good. But it's such a treat though. It's like the ice is right here in one button. The water is so cold. It's flying everywhere. It is. I make a mess uh, ha- at least half the time when I'm using a fridge dispenser. I guess I'm the problem. <laughs> I just don't trust them, and I feel like the ice might stink. Yeah, sometimes it has a little bit of a fridge you know, staleness. People are putting a lot of like meat dishes in the freezer, <laughs> <laughs> onion-based <laughs> broths. <laughs> the common. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but he. Uh. I guess they ordered and ate a pizza while Sophia was conducting. Conducting. In in Chattanooga. Unconcerned with Abe's rude. 
Unconcerned with Abe's rude remarks, Sophia yells to him that he's only jealous because he can't have him. Nope, he can't have her. Sophia barks a no at the woman, who is desperate for a yes. Wait, no. (laughs) That's a blooper. Before explaining that she went through the same thing, waiting like this woman is. No. It's going to be heaven. Because we'll be dead. (laughs) Maybe heaven. I know that joke is about Phil being a cross-dresser, fran-dresser. We share underwear. Only sometimes. It's true. Well, you share my underwear. Only sometimes. Only on laundry day Mm -hmm. when I forget. I go, oh, no, I'm out of underwear. I have to wear these horrible boxers. Suffocate my grundle. Well, suffocate my grundle. (laughs) Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.